Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start the week. We're taking a look at the markets to kick things off, and there's a little bit of red on the screen. We're seeing some weakness in the corn market and the soybean market and the wheat market. We're going to talk with Darren Newsom here in just a moment about what's developing in the ag commodities, but also what's happening in the energy complex. And then in segment two, we'll have our conversation with John Baranek of DTN Weather. We're going to talk about what is developing across the country here this week and what to expect down in South America as that growing season continues to push forward. And then, of course, in segment three, we are going to be taking a look at the big picture economic situation here, not just in this country, but globally with Steve Kamen. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute writing on macroeconomics. And we're going to talk specifically about the value of the U.S. dollar. And we're going to wrap things up with a headline roundup from this past weekend. AMLO, the president of Mexico, will be visiting with Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack later on today. They're going to talk about that pending GMO corn import ban from Mexico. No doubt we'll see that certainly driving the news cycle here in the ag commodities we get out later in the week. But let's kick things off here with Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis and I believe the most recent addition to the bar chart team. He is a senior analyst over there. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Let's start here, Darren, with the energy complex. We've seen crude oil lose quite a bit here over the past 10 to 14 days. We're off $10 plus. Another day of weakness today. What's happening here in crude oil? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, both fundamentally and technically. On the fundamental side, we've got the zero tolerance uh, crackdown going on in China that's got all these demand concerns going on. Uh, you know, so maybe the world's not going to need as much crude oil as expected. There's been some chatter out of OPEC that I've pretty much, you know, thrown out, uh, chatter that they're going to increase their production at some point maybe here like you know in early 2023 we don't know i have i have strong doubts that this is going to happen uh but from a technical point of view this market is is fascinating to me is that we hit a low this morning uh of 73.60 and on its long-term monthly chart and on its weekly chart key support was at 73.57 so what we've done is we've hit support and, and found a light round of buying as the markets move back above 75. there's a couple key prices uh to keep in mind the, the, on, the, on the weekly chart, it's last week's close of 76.28. If we come back on this Friday and close above that mark, then that would be a bullish reversal. On the monthly chart, got a long way to go. We've got, we'd have to get all the way back up to 86.53, the October close, before we see any sort of bullish spike reversal or anything like that. I don't think it's going to happen. But if the weekly chart starts to change, then by the time we get to the end of December, possibly the long-term monthly chart could change as well. Darren, there's been a lot of chatter out of the European Union about the price of the the, the cap, the price cap, I guess is the word I'm trying mm -hmm. to say, for Russian crude oil they're trying to put into place. Is that going to have an impact on the fundamental factors here in the crude space? 
I, I would say so, uh, because, you know, again, if we look at the domestic market, the West Texas intermediate market, we've seen the the, the first couple of future spreads move out of, a, you know, what, what's called an inverse or backwardation into a carry or New York terms into a contango. Very small, uh, but it has changed. We've just seen it happen in the global Brent market as well. The Brent crude market, its initial spread, its spot spread also now showing a small carry, slight contango, whatever you want to call it, also moving out of inverse. So we are seeing a change in short-term supply and demand, a loosening of short-term supply and demand. So this would take into account, you know, the price caps, the this, the that, the production and all of that, all of it reflected in those spreads. All right, Darren. Well, we'll continue to watch those levels you mentioned for Friday, 76, above 76, and this thing might be moving higher. If we close lower than that, Darren, what's the next leg downward here in this crude oil market? You know, on the long-term chart, we're not we're not oversold yet. So if we break that 73.57, the next target's down around 60.14. To me, that's just, it seems a bit low. So I would be expecting some sort of bottom to start to form in here for whatever reason uh it just seems like this might be where the market wants to find some low and find some renewed buying interest all right darren well taking a look over at the ag commodities we've got a lot of red on the screen today wheat mm -hmm. is the big loser chicago contract off 19 to 22 cents here were there some headline changes over the weekend that have impacted the wheat uh, market you know i didn't see any not saying that there hasn't been uh but i didn't see any the thing about Chicago wheat is that it has the most bearish uh, fundamentals in all of the grain and oil seeds in all the grain and oil seed sector. So, and we know this by looking at the spreads. The DSMART spreads out around 70, 75% calculated full commercial carry uh, as, as DS gets ready to move into delivery. We've got the March May slowly moving out, you know, kind of following the path that the DS March uh, set. So we know that we still have bearish soft red winter fundamentals and this is despite the fact the dollar looks like it's putting in a, a long-term top and all of what was going on in europe and weather across the world was supposed to bring more interest to u.s wheat supplies now hard red winter hard red spring different story right now they're just being pressured by by chicago but the key is the chicago market nobody wants it nobody wants to buy it if we look at the CFTC commitment to traders reports, particularly the legacy futures only, we continue to see non-commercial traders increasing their net short position, just bearish all the way around. Darren, you had a great comment there. Non-commercial traders increasing their net short position. Break that mm -hmm. sentence down for me. What does it mean for the layman? Okay. In other words, funds, you know, who to me, funds set the trend. And in the Chicago wheat market, they actually hold more short futures than long futures. They've been selling. Uh, this is one market where they're actually comfortable to be short the market rather than long the market. They think it's going to continue to go down. Yes, this opens the door to a round of short covering at some point, but given it is the, the market with the most bearish fundamentals, according to spreads, they're very comfortable continuing to add or increase their short futures position. All right, Darren, what are you seeing from that managed money perspective over in the corn markets? Yeah, it's gone quiet. Uh, we can also see this in the fact that the market's just kind of trending sideways. But money is coming out. Uh, again, this is interesting because we're starting to see more money going back over into equities. And despite corn having one of the more bullish markets, or bullish structures as far as uh, future spreads go in the grand oil seed complex, investment money is coming out. It's looking for other avenues. We know supply and demand is tight. We know the U.S. doesn't have enough available supplies right now to meet demand. And that's why we see strength in basis and so on. 
There's just no interest in it from the non-commercial side. They're going to be looking over at other markets. They're going to be looking at equities. They're going to be looking uh, at the euro, which just uh, this morning went to a new four-month high, selling of the dollar, buying of the euro. So they're, they're moving their money to other areas. Could come back to corn at some point, probably will, just not right now going to need some more bearish or bullish factors to pull that money back in. Folks, we have been speaking this morning with Darren Newsom, DarrenNewsom.com, Newsom Analysis, of course, senior analyst there at Bar Chart. Darren, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on today's show. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Really appreciate it. And folks, thanks for tuning in. Stick with us when AOA returns. We're going to dig in to that weather and the impact that could have on the commodity markets with John Baranek of DTN. And then in segment three, Steve Kamen, a senior fellow at AEI, will be joining us. We're going to talk macroeconomic factors. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. At Bravant. Our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we have just come through the Thanksgiving week, the busiest travel week for Americans looking at the entire calendar. And, well, this was one of those years I didn't see weather having a huge impact. Joining us now for an update on, well, the weather both domestically and internationally is John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. And thanks for having me, Mike. Always good to talk to you. You know, last week, I didn't see any big weather disruptions to Thanksgiving travel, but John, I don't pay attention to everything. Were there any snafus that happened this past week? Not really for travel. I mean, we had plenty of weather going on, though. We had a, a big cutoff low pressure center uh, that, that dove into Texas uh, about the middle of, of, of the week and brought all kinds of, of rain and, and thunderstorms down there to the south. Um, and then it traveled up the kind of Ohio Valley and brought plenty of rain through the eastern half of the uh, Midwest as well. So we saw lots of rain, but, you know, we didn't see anything. We didn't see any big thunderstorms. We didn't see any severe weather, really. And it wasn't that cold outside of uh, southeastern uh, New Mexico and far western Texas. We didn't really see any snow out of it either. So um, not, not a whole lot of travel disruption, although if you were trying to be outside and play your football game on, on Thursday afternoon, it might have been a little wet for you. Yeah, yeah, some folks definitely got a little wet. John, that rain that fell, that, that is across some very droughty territory, particularly there in the Southern Plains and then the Ohio River Basin, of course, you know, we need that moisture to fill up the Mississippi. Do you think we're going to see appreciable changes in the drought monitor when that next version comes out? I think so. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma saw some pretty decent rainfall. Uh, there are several areas and, and wider bands in there that were kind of on the one to two inch range, which is which is really good, especially for this time of year. Uh, farther up into the um, Ohio Valley and everything, it was more like a, a half inch-ish. Maybe some areas got closer to an inch. So it wasn't overly dramatic in terms of, of rainfall there, but it was going over widespread areas that are in drought. So I think we'll see some uh, some definite improvement on this, this coming drought monitor. All right, John. Well, to start this week, it looks like, quick check on my radar, shows a fairly quiet start to the week. What do you see ramping up as we move deeper into this week? Yeah, it is quiet here today, but it's not going to be for long. We have uh, a cold front moving through the northern plains right now. Not a whole lot of action going on here across the U.S. A lot of that's going on up in Canada. Uh, but that front is going to get a little bit active here as we get uh, kind of a pulse from the west kind of moving out of there uh, and along that front for Tuesday. And uh, we get uh, a band of snow on the north end, end of that system, uh, kind of moves from Nebraska into Wisconsin. A lot of areas there, I think, see three to six, so nothing heavy, but, you know, a good moderate band over a wide area. I think the bigger story will be some severe weather that is expected to go on. We've got really warm and moist air coming up to meet that front, uh, especially across the lower Mississippi Valley. And uh, the, today, the Storm Prediction Center does have a band of moderate in there, which is very unusual for this time of year. Um, but, you know, with some of these dynamic systems, that can happen. So we'll be watching severe weather there 
uh, for tomorrow afternoon and evening. And when you say they have the moderate on the map, that's the moderate risk for thunderstorm activity? Yes, yes, moderate risk. So there's five categories. Moderate is the second highest. So it only goes uh, moderate than high. So uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good uh, likelihood of some severe weather, mostly tornadoes and wind gusts. So I wouldn't throw out any large hail either. All right, John, what was the geography that's going to be impacted potentially by those moderate storms? Yeah, that would be mostly the uh, the Delta region. So the lower Mississippi Valley into the kind of western Tennessee Valley. All right. Well, across the northern tier of the country, John, you mentioned we're going to see some potential for snow. I'm curious about temperature. It has been getting a little chillier. Winter is coming. Did temps start to drop into the deep freeze? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, with this active pattern, we're, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit uh, for most of the country. Um, there's a big giant trough out in the western U.S., and that's pulling down a lot of Arctic air into western Canada. And then that, this ridge of high pressure over uh, the Gulf of Mexico feeding all that warm, moist air for the severe weather threat tomorrow. They're going to be doing battle for the next uh, 10, maybe 14 days. So we're going to have several systems that move through. We'll get warm out ahead of them and we'll get cold up uh, behind them, but neither one is really going to last too long in any particular area, except maybe across the Gulf Coast, uh, probably staying warmer. Any of these colder shots that move through are probably going to be real brief. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to stay active both in terms of precipitation and temperature movement here uh, into maybe mid-December. Okay. All right. An extended period of active forecasting. John, I saw on the news that Mauna Loa, the largest active volcano, I believe in the world on Hawaii, has started erupting again. Given its placement in the Pacific, given that those winds are going to push that uh, that cloud towards the U.S., any impact that's going to have on our weather here uh, on the continental U.S.? That's a good question. I haven't taken a, a huge look at it yet. However, um, that volcano is literally two or 3,000 miles away from the California coast. So um, the uh, potential, I mean, it would have to be a really large eruption. I haven't really looked at it uh, in any detail to see if that would have any impact here in the U.S. All right. All right. Well, John, I'm curious if we take our focus down the other side of the equator this time of year of course that growing season is underway across brazil and argentina i know you track what's happening down there bring us up to speed on brazilian weather what are you seeing across that country yeah so brazil over the last few weeks here so the southern half of the the country's had some showers but they've been pretty inconsistent and overall they've had lower amounts than they would expect during the month um some ice uh, isolated showers are building back in here this week uh, but what we're really looking forward to, well, not we, but they are looking forward to, is a cold front that will be moving through Argentina into them. And it actually stalls out across southern Brazil here kind of Friday going into next week. And that should kind of enhance precipitation down there for those southern areas um, for, for several days. And uh, a lot of the uh, models right now are, are pointing at, you know, probably two, three, four inches of rain across a wide area. So that, that'll be some good moisture for them, kind of pick things back up for them. Now, for those that grow full season corn down there, uh, it's starting to get toward pollination. So they're really in kind of in need of the rain. And it looks like they're going to get it there in, in Brazil. John, when you say things like a two to four inch rain event here to my ears, that sounds like a just an astronomical amount of moisture to fall in one sitting, particularly after the droughts of this past year. But how common is that down in Brazil? How often do they deal with these large weather events when they get rain? Yeah, they're tropical areas, so they see these fairly frequently. 
Um, you know, this is more of a, a typical kind of event uh, that they'll see for this kind of stretch of time. So nothing out of the ordinary, nothing very heavy, but it will definitely be something that, that they that they're in need of and that they'll receive. Um, you know, farther north where we really start talking about the tropics, states like Matta Grosso, they end up with eight to 12 inches of rainfall a month on average. Uh, farther to the south, it's more like six to eight. But still, I mean, you know, six to eight inches of rain is, is quite a bit. If you're below normal, you're still okay. Uh, this, this, uh, this event here may bring a, a third to a uh, half a month's worth of rain uh, in it. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is a big rain event, no matter where you are, even if they're a little more used to them down there in Brazil. John, while we've got you, we know that Argentina has been struggling with drought and dryness and, of course, high temps across their, uh, their territory. Has that ameliorated at all? Not at all. Um, unfortunately for them, I mean, the periods of showers that move through them have been pretty scant uh, and spotty. And they're uh, getting another week of that here this week. Um, you know, the showers that kind of develop over them, I, I mentioned uh, a front moving through Argentina here on, on Thursday, and um, yeah, that's going to leave the, the country dry again. So uh, there's going to be a few areas, a few pockets in there that see over an inch of rain, but for, for the most part, uh, those areas are going to stay drier. And with temperatures in the 80s and 90s, that's, uh, you know, an inch of rain doesn't last too long. No, it doesn't, John. And how far or how much longer can those growers in Argentina hope to get their crops in the ground? Is that planting season wrapping up or is it just getting started? Well, it's a really long season, actually. Uh, and corn they do in two phases. The, the first phase of planting they, they completed here in September and October, um, but they didn't due to the drought, they didn't plant a whole heck of a lot of it there. So they're, they're waiting on it. Um, their soybean season started planting here in November and they're still way behind on that as well. Now they've got all of December and into January, they can still plant and get a decent crop, but the longer they wait, the, the lower the potential there for yields. So, um, you know, we, we keep, uh, tracking the, the showers down there, see if they can get any hope. Uh, but it's, it's tough to come by in Argentina this year. All right, John, La Nina, are you seeing any changes there and a move back towards neutral? Not quite yet. You know, models have been counting on late November and early December as the peak, and that just kind of gradually fading away uh, through the rest of the winter season. Uh, we're kind of seem to be in that peaks uh, right now. We haven't seen any real significant uh, moves uh, to, toward neutral yet. All right, we'll continue to watch it. John Baranek, DTN Weather, keeps track of these things for us. John, thank you so much for joining us today. And always good to talk to you, Mike. Have a good week. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, Steve Kamen, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, will join us and we'll talk about this value of the U.S. dollar. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Rispa with this market update. Stock futures turned lower overnight amid increased public protests in China over its dynamic zero COVID policies and the tightening of security measures to stamp out the protests as COVID numbers continue to surge. Now, all of this is taking place on Jobs Week on Wall Street, with traders anticipating that Friday's monthly jobs report will show a continuation of the tight employment sector that supports a hawkish Federal Reserve policy. The VIX gapped higher to trade above 22 overnight as fear levels elevate again on Wall Street. Meanwhile, the dollar index fell to a fresh three-month low before finding support near its 200-day moving average. Crude oil prices also fell to fresh 11-month lows on the China news amid fears that global demand is slumping more than supply. The China news also waited on grain and oilseed prices overnight, although they firmed to at least trade near session highs this morning. And it appears Russia is artificially slowing down movement of grain moving out of Ukrainian ports via the Grain Initiative by slow-walking ship inspections. That's according to Ukraine's Minister of Infrastructure. The Grain Initiative was recently extended for another four months to allow grain and products to continue moving out of the three approved ports in southern Ukraine. However, the agreement requires that the ships be inspected prior to arriving at Ukraine and then again on departure now, those inspections require Russian participation in the inspection process. There are currently 77 vessels waiting for inspection in Turkey, while the ports of Odessa are only operating at 50% of their capacity. And Argentina restarted its pesos for soybeans program today that was effective in getting farmers to sell beans in September. The program is scheduled to last through the end of December this time, reimbursing farmers 230 pesos for every U.S. dollar of beans that they sell. The program is designed to encourage exports that will strengthen central bank reserves of foreign exchange dollars that it can use to make its dollar-denominated debt payments. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Folks, if you have been tuning into this show for the better part of this past year, one topic that has come up repeatedly anytime we're discussing the markets or international trade has been the value of the U.S. dollar. We have seen a tremendous amount of volatility in that particular market over this past year, and it's causing a lot of traders to sort of rethink the impact that dollar could have on the market. Well, I recently read a fantastic op-ed by Stephen Kamen. He is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, AEI. He focuses his research on international finance, monetary policy, and macroeconomics. And we've got him on with us today to talk about some of the impacts of a strong dollar beyond those that we discuss uh, almost daily on the program with regard to agriculture. Mr. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Let's talk through this recent op-ed. It was entitled, Will the Strong Dollar Trigger a Global Recession? Dr. Kemen, will it? Uh, I, well, <laughs> you know, it's tough <laughs> to ask economists questions because they use many hands. Let me just say, uh, there may be a global recession, but it will not be mainly because of the strong dollar. All right, I think that is a good place to start this conversation. Some of the claims that are being made about this dollar are, are pretty powerful, but let's start at the beginning. Dr. Kamen, the value of the U.S. dollar has changed a lot over the past 12 months. Talk about how that happens. How does this market function? Let's start there. Sure. Well, um, the, uh, the value of the dollar, you know, is basically like all markets, including agricultural commodity markets, determined in supply and demand. And right now, two different factors have been driving the dollar up over the past year. The first of them, which is probably the most important, is that the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. And when it does that, it makes investments more profitable in the United States than in other countries as our interest rates rise. And that means that other countries' investors now want to buy dollars in order to invest in United States uh, uh, instruments, uh, bank deposits, and other types of uh, focuses of their investment. So all that increased demand for the dollar, therefore, raises the value of the dollar against their currencies. And then there's another factor that's probably also helping to raise the dollar, which is that when investors around the world get worried, they want to invest in a safe place. And there's no safer place to invest than the United States, and in particular, United States Treasury bonds. So that's why the dollar is called a flight to safety currency. And given that the world is a very um, unstable place these days, probably flight to safety flows into the dollar have also been raising the dollar along with higher US interest rates. All right, that makes some sense. Two causes, Fed, Fed action with their rates and the safe haven flows into treasuries and other U.S. investment assets. Dr. Kamen, then I'm curious, as you see this change, as these moves happen, as investors pile into the dollar, what does that cause in other countries? That's one of the main claims about this strong U.S. dollar is it adds inflation in emerging markets. Is that something that we've seen play out so far? Um. Well, it's probably played out to a limited degree, but not as much uh, as a lot of the articles in the media would have you believe. 
So in my research, in my op-ed recently, I focused on two factors. One of them is the uh, criticism about the strong dollar, which is the following, that a strong dollar means weak foreign currencies. That means other countries have to pay more uh, for their imports, and those higher import costs lead to higher inflation for them. Uh, and that, in turn, makes them having to tighten their monetary policy more, which could be recessionary. Uh, so that, you know, so that, you know, there's some grain of truth to that concern. But what I point out in my op-ed is that if everybody's currency is falling against the dollar, that means that everybody's currency is probably not falling that much against each other. And that means that the that while, for example, the euro may be falling a lot uh, against the dollar, the euro is not necessarily falling that much against the pound sterling, which has also fallen, or the Japanese yen, which has also fallen against the dollar. And so what that means is on average, other countries' currencies haven't fallen that much against the average of their trading partners. And that means that the fall in their currency against the dollar is not as inflationary uh, as a lot of these articles would have you believe. So that's, All right. So that's yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it makes me wonder, as we look out to the future, we continue to hear a lot of hawkish action from the Federal Reserve with regard to future rate hikes. And I'm wondering, Dr. Kamen, in your research, what do future rate hikes mean for the value of a dollar that has seen such a climb in its value over the past year? Right. Well, um, well, a couple of things are worth noting. One of them is, is that movements in the dollar tend to respond not uh, not only to like actual rate hikes, but what to investors expect in the future for the Fed to do. And uh, as it happened, and so one of the reasons the dollar has risen so much is because the markets, not knowing what U.S. inflation was going to do, were very uncertain about what the Fed was going to do and feared a lot more rate hikes. Now, in the last few weeks, we've actually received some fairly good news about United States inflation. It looks like it might be flattening out and maybe declining a little bit. And as a result, you know, financial markets are now getting somewhat more optimism that the Fed's not going to raise interest rates so much in the future. And as a result, we've actually seen the dollar fall a little bit from its previous peak, uh, you know, a month or a few months ago, even though it's still very high relative to where it was a year ago. So if this good news about inflation persists, I think we can kind of expect the dollar, you know, to kind of like flatten out and maybe even decline a little bit further over the next year or so. Uh, but, you know, uh, but we've been... Uh, surprised before by inflation. And if it happens again, inflation starts moving back up. Uh, that means that the market will again rebuild anticipations of Fed tightening into their projections, and we could expect to see the dollar rise again. So my, my best guess is the dollar is going to flatten out over the next year or two and maybe decline some, uh, both uh, as the Fed uh, basically stops raising rates uh, and uh, as the global economy and political situation settles and uh, some flight to safety 
flows that were went into dollars will then reverse and come back out. So now I'm wondering, as we see this dollar flatten, remain elevated, but uh, but potentially stop the gyrations, will we see that that flight to safety investor back off and look in other places around the world? Is that your anticipation? That is that is indeed my anticipation. Uh, you know, I expect you know I expect that to happen. Uh, you know, first of all, primarily uh, to the countries whose currencies weakened the most. Uh, against the dollar, and that would be uh, you know, that would be United Kingdom and the Euro area and Japan. Uh, but but it should also affect a lot of other currencies that have not fallen as much against the dollar, such as you know such as in emerging markets, uh, Mexico, Brazil, South Africa, Korea. So so right. you know, so as I say, assuming assuming that that inflation in the United States kind of like flattens out, maybe starts to decline as the Fed had anticipated, so that eventually the Fed can stop raising rates, maybe start lowering them, I would see the dollar starting to move back down. But I wouldn't expect a huge and rapid reversal of its earlier rise. All right, not expecting a huge reversal and not expecting the strong dollar to lead to a global recession. But Dr. Kamen, is it going to trade American export uh, or is it going to impact American export competitiveness over the next year or two? Well, uh, yes, it, it, it can't help but do so. Obviously, uh, obviously, a strong dollar uh, means, you know, means basically that American exports are more, um, you know, are you know, are more expensive uh, to foreigners and uh, therefore makes it harder to sell them. Um, and uh, now, and, and what's also true is, is it also leads to declines in prices. And I was actually just uh, in anticipation of our conversation, took a look at the export price index for agricultural commodities. And I noticed that that, uh, that already uh, has peaked, you know, peaked kind of like earlier this year and it's moved, been moving down a bit. And it's been moving right in concert with the dollar, hasn't it? Well, yes, it has. Now, now that's a little bit of a coincidence in the sense that, um, in the sense that around the same time that the dollar was rising because of flight to safety flows and uh, and the Fed monetary policy tightening, uh, commodity prices were moving up uh, first as a rebound uh, from their lows during the pandemic. And then secondly, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so, so we saw a situation where commodity prices and the dollar were both rising. But that's an unusual situation. Ordinarily, a strong dollar would tend to, look, to lower commodity, commodity prices denominated in dollars. Absolutely. Fascinating stuff here when we're talking international markets. We've been talking with Dr. Steve Kamen. He's a senior fellow at AEI. You can learn more at AEI.org and check out his op-ed, Will the Strong Dollar Lead to a Global Recession? Thank you, Dr. Kamen. And folks, stick around for more AOA coming up next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTM Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at dtn.com slash agsummit. 
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. There have been a lot of stories developing in the ag industry here over the past week and a half, and I wanted to bring some updates to those. One ongoing story has been the potential banning of GMO corn imports from the United States into Mexico. This has been a proposal from Mexican president. He was proposing it back when he was running for office, and as of now, that ban is set to take effect January 1st, 2024. Now, obviously, America American commodity groups have taken exception to this plan, and the pushback is beginning to develop on Capitol Hill as to what would happen if Mexico were to follow through with it. Currently, things are sort of at a stalemate. Mexico has insisted they are moving forward with this plan. The U.S. seems to believe they're not going to go through with it, and it was announced this morning that Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO is what they call him, will discuss this import ban in a meeting later today on Monday with U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. They will be discussing, obviously, the GMO issue, but also food price hikes. Uh, the Mexican leader has been out promoting an anti-inflationary food price plan. He's going to bring that up in conversations later today with Secretary Vilsack. No doubt we'll start to see some reporting from that meeting this afternoon and on tomorrow's program. We'll bring you an update in case anything were to break out later on today from that meeting. Well, speaking of breakouts, if you watch the equity markets and the agricultural components therein, you would have noticed a breakout last week as John Deere's stock price climbed to a record price. Uh, they announced their third quarter quarterly profits, and they were very, very, very strong. Uh, John Deere said that despite supply chain challenges, the largest farm equipment maker reported a 75% increase in profit for its final quarter of the 2022 fiscal year, and it has forecast higher profits for next year. They noted that their order books on most farm equipment is full for 2023, and combines, John Deere combines for 2023, 
are completely sold out. The company then is forecasting, as you'd imagine, solid growth in profit margins across all business segments. Uh, CEO John Deere, John May, said on the retail call with investors, quote, we executed our plan, saw substantial lift in production, and outpaced the industry production and retail sales. This resulted in our highest revenue and margin quarter for the year. A lot of celebrations there at the John Deere headquarters. Not as many celebrations in the poultry industry. Avian influenza continues to spread. In the latest update from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, we learned that 50.54 million birds have been culled due to the spread of HPAI this year. That tops the previous record of 50.5 million birds that died in what was previously the worst outbreak of HPAI, that which gripped us in 2015. This year's is now Worse. And it's worth noting that the U.S. is grappling with now its worst outbreak of HPAI in history. Similar stories are playing out in Europe. France, Germany, and Great Britain have all seen restrictions on how they can handle poultry in those countries, and they have all seen aggressive culling as HPAI continues to spread. Rosemary Sifford, who is the USDA's chief veterinary officer, noted that, quote, wild birds continue to spread HPAI throughout the country as they migrate, so preventing contact between domestic flocks and wild birds is crucial to protecting U.S. poultry. Well, we've also got some news here on the animal ag front, largely speaking, I'm sure we will discuss this tomorrow with our friends from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, but last week, Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey, announced some new legislation. This is called the Industrial Agriculture Accountability Act. Now, uh, Senator Booker is a noted vegan, one of the louder vegans in Congress. He has advocated an end to confined animal feeding several times. He has pushed several of those bills. This would sort of be a growth on that. Uh, the idea would would be that uh, it's going to end line speed increases for processing plants. It would end meatpacker self-inspection programs, prohibit the slaughter of downed animals, require, quote, more humane treatment of livestock transported for long periods. Uh, a lot of different ideas in this bill. We'll see what the reception looks like in Congress, given the uh, the makeup there of this new Congress in particular. And we'll get some more details as more of the bill's wording is released, and we can break down what it is he's he's looking to do here with this Industrial Agriculture Accountability Act. We did see some other news on animal husbandry, I suppose, and animal care compass group which is one of the world's largest food service providers, uh, they announced this past week they are going to cease the use of gestation stalls in their pigs for the U.S. supply chain by the summer of 2023. Now, of course, the use of gestation stalls in the swine industry is a hotly contested one. Currently, Proposition 12, a law passed by voters in the state of California that would restrict the sale of meat from animals not raised in accordance with the law, notably sows raised in pens where they cannot turn around. That meat would be banned for sale in California. And that law's constitutionality is up for discussion. Currently, the uh, the state of California and National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau are fighting each other in the Supreme Court over the ongoing the success of that law. We'll get that decision early part of 2023. 
In the meantime, though, it does appear that the industry is moving in this group housing direction. Uh, Compass said they are going to transition to, at a minimum, group housed pork. So that's pigs that are crated for five to seven days. By summer 2023, they are going to continue to work with their suppliers to make sure they are in compliant. Uh, Compass Foods, some of the brands you might recognize would be Bon Appetit, Canteen, Restaurant Associates, and Wolfgang Puck Catering. This is a big a big operation. Uh, they run dining centers at more than 10,000 schools, colleges, hospitals, and other different places. And they note that they purchase tens of millions of pork annually. Now, just like a lot of other folks in this moving away from gestation stalls area, we've seen similar comments by McDonald's. It is a slow go. Compass said they would have this done by 2012. Tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll pick up these stories and follow them deeper into the rabbit hole. Thanks for listening, folks. Wish you the best here yet today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine to five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.